Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Eight Evolved, and I'm your host, Rowena Luke. This season, we speak with donors and investors who are driving new ways to deliver aid and improve lives in Africa. Today, we're speaking with Kurt LaBelle. Kurt is the managing partner of the Global Health Investment Fund. This $100 million fund was created in 2012 through the unlikely alliance of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and J.P. Morgan Chase. Described as a first-of-its-kind investment product, it was supported by a pretty stellar cast of characters, including Grand Challenges Canada, the development finance institution of both Germany and the World Bank, GSK, Merck, and Pfizer. Its mission was to provide late-stage financing, so money to grow, for drugs, vaccines, and diagnostics that could save millions of lives specifically in low- and middle-income countries. In this episode, we'll touch on the kind of innovations that were financed through this mechanism. We'll hear from Kurt himself the guidance that he would give for innovators who pitch him for funding, as well as his guidance for emerging fund managers in this space, and his call to action for the global health community to ensure these life-saving products actually make it to the people. This episode is relevant for anyone who wonders how the big checks get written to scale the growth of effective innovations globally. This conversation was recorded live at the IFC Global Private Health Conference, taking place in Cape Town in February of 2023. IFC is a development finance institution and also the private sector arm of the World Bank Group. Just before we get started, let me take a moment to invite you. Yes. I'm talking to you, our listeners, to share a few words on this podcast. What are your questions for me or even for our future guests? Well, we're going to take some time in a future episode to air and respond to your messages. Go nuts. Ask us about anything. Send us a recording or an email to podcast at aidevolved.com. Or if you're willing to call an American number, you can leave us a voice note at 218-888-3678. And then if it's not wildly inappropriate, we'll air it here on the show. Last public service announcement. If you like what you hear today, please share it with a friend and connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter. It really does help us out. Now back to our show. Let me begin by introducing you to Kurt LaBelle, Managing Partner of the Global Health Investment Fund. So Kurt LaBelle, I am a physician by training, and I manage two funds. They're both impact funds. One is the Global Health Investment Fund, and the other is the AXA IM Global Health Fund. So the, the names are very similar, but and the focuses are very similar. So they are both double bottom line funds. Oh, did I forget to mention the other fund of half a billion dollars that Kurt manages? Okay, well, Kurt's also the managing partner of the AXA IM Global Health Fund, which is also focused on devices, pharmaceuticals, vaccines, and diagnostics, and also looks at the global market. So we're focused on generating good financial returns for our investors. They're not concessionary funds in any way. But just as important as the financial returns is the impact that we generate. And impact is sort of a word that's tossed around in many different ways these days. But yeah. for us, it means facilitating the introduction of innovative products 
into low and middle income countries. So, so we will only invest in companies that are developing products that are durable, inexpensive to produce, easy to use, and can be used in any setting, including low resource settings. Nice. So those are the criteria we look at for each one. And I've been doing investing. I grew up in the Rocky Mountain West uh, outside of Salt Lake City. Wow, me too, in Alberta. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love the West and mountains and and all that goes with it. But I I went to New York City for medical school and business school uh, Mm -hmm. back in the mid-90s. And then uh, really loved what I saw on the business side of of things. And so hopped into the, the venture and growth capital world. A little over 20 years ago now. Wow, that's fascinating. And amazing that you've been able to do that kind of work across two large funds. I'm really excited to hear more about your experiences on that front. I know you're here today with the IFC event to discuss the whole state of private healthcare in the world, basically, and in emerging markets. How has this week been for you? Any highlights you want to call out? Yeah, it's been fantastic. I went to the IFC conference back in Barcelona several years ago. So this is the second one I've been to. And IFC is one of the investors in our uh, global health investment fund. So, oh, so you got to uh, be here. So I don't have to. They're very good about that. But <laughs> it, it's, it's helpful. It's a good <laughs> idea for sure. And what I find useful, especially at this conference, is meeting people who are on the ground in Africa, in India, in low and middle income markets, who can really give us feedback regarding the state of the markets, their interest in products. Because what we found when we try to introduce products into low and middle income countries is if there's already an organization that is focused on a certain disease. So, for example, we invested in a company that developed an oral cholera vaccine. Oh, that and sounds useful. Gavi was very interested in facilitating that, stockpiling. They coordinated all the purchasing. Nice. I wouldn't say it was easy, <laughs> but it, it worked well. That's amazing. And then there are other things where it's been more challenging. So we invested in a company that developed a device for postpartum hemorrhage, which is a a massive problem globally and still a big killer in in low and middle income countries. But there aren't necessarily organizations in place ready to take that, purchase it, distribute it. So it's great here to meet groups that are on the ground that are interested in maternal health and can help us get these products out there. You've already named some great examples of the investments you've made and the opportunities that you're excited about. Can you talk a bit about all the other opportunities that knock on your door that you say, no, like not a good fit, you know, for advice <laughs> for people. And I'm sure you talk to them every day that are seeking investments and, you know, maybe the most common mistake that they make when they knock on your door. There are a few things. So one of the things that I love about these funds that are focused on impact and we, we have a mission with low and middle income countries is it is easier to filter out the opportunities because a lot of companies will present to us and it's just clear that there's no way that these products could be feasible in a low resource setting. So if if someone comes to us with a spinal implant for spine surgery, there there just aren't enough spine surgeons Mm -hmm. and the implant itself is too expensive. It's too complicated to use. So we can, we can exclude those and Right, like basic economics. Yeah, basic economics, a lot of biologic therapeutics that just cost thousands of dollars to manufacture. Yeah. Those just won't work for a fund like ours that is focused on on global health. But more generically speaking, if you go back to my days in, in traditional funds, I think most companies are based on some good ideas. These, these hmm. are not dumb people. They're, <laughs> they're bright. They've thought about things. 
There might be one or two dumb ones in there. There might, but... be, there might <laughs> be a few. That's, that's true. <laughs> but I think a lot of folks try to just paint the best picture for it. And then it, it can be kind of easy to shoot holes in it and they mm-hmm. lose a little bit of credibility. So maybe overstating the opportunity, maybe showing timelines that just aren't realistic. Uh, so I really appreciate it when founders and, and management teams will come in and give a couple of scenarios. Say, if everything goes well, here's how it'll look. Wow. But things rarely go well. So here's why we're raising more than that to provide a cushion, to provide yeah. different options, some backup plans. Nice. I really like that advice. You don't see that that often. You know, I feel like when we coach founders, we're like, come in, like, you know, shoot for the moon, give the big pitch. But it makes sense. (laughs) That might just be my opinion. But yeah, (laughs) I mean, I I personally it it is something I appreciate. (laughs) And they come in and give the different scenarios, because when you've been doing this for a long time, you realize it Mm -hmm. almost never goes as planned. Mm. There are always curveballs. There are always speed bumps. Yeah. And you have to be ready for that. I asked Kurt, if you could look back in time. And maybe talk to your younger self when you first signed up for the Global Health Investment Fund. Or even now, as you're getting started with the AXA IM half a billion dollar fund, what advice would you give your younger self? I think the most valuable thing for me has been spending time in the countries where we want these products to be used. And I did a pretty good job of that. So Mm -hmm. before coming in to be the managing partner for the Global Health Investment Fund back in 2015, I really didn't have much exposure to global health. But, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I, was, I nice. was in traditional funds, had done a lot of investing for about 15 years at that point. Talk about rude awakening. <laughs> yeah. But they wanted someone to come in who had that venture experience, could find deals, could negotiate term sheets, execute yeah. the deals, work as a board member, work on exits. Wow. And they told you about the rural roads in Africa and They said they would situation. introduce that. So we had groups like, uh, Grand Challenges Canada, we have mm. the Gates Foundation, we have had people from Gavi's board who mm. were there, there to really coach me and teach me. Amazing. Wow. Which was fantastic. Yeah. 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 I, I really benefited from that. And, and I think they benefited from the venture experience and the combination ended up working. But I think spending that time on the ground to really understand the dynamics. Yeah. Because you might look at a product and say, here's a product that addresses preterm labor. Mm-hmm. or you know, fill in the blank on, on the indication. Mm-hmm. And there's a big need for that. Therefore, it'll work. <laughs> but when you get on the ground and talk to the caregivers, talk to the patients, you learn little things that, that influence your decisions. And so sure. I, I would spend as much time as possible doing that, even more than I, I did. And I spent mm-hmm. a fair amount. Do you remember the, if your I went, first trip and like what the impact that had on you? Like maybe your... Well, I remember it wasn't my first trip, but probably the most impactful was this we were evaluating this postpartum hemorrhage device and Mm -hmm. it wasn't clear there was a big market opportunity to us at Mm -hmm. that point, but it looked like it worked. They had a few patients worth of data and we we Mm -hmm. usually like a lot before Mm -hmm. we invest. So it was sort of on the fringes and we were thinking about it. We had a lot of question marks with the company's plan, the the addressable market, how you would introduce it into low and middle-income countries. And I was over in Tanzania Mm -hmm. in a hospital in Moshi, which is close to Mount Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. And we were actually there for another project. It was a cataract device that we had already invested in. But I was there and I had brought this postpartum hemorrhage device with me. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) And I thought, oh, if I get a chance, I'll show it to some docs and caregivers and see what they think. So we're over there and it's it's a classic 
hospital where you know there's kind of water dripping from pipes and there's paint mm. peeling uh, in the rooms and I said to the eye surgeons, "Hey, where's labor and delivery? Can you mm-hmm. show me that and introduce me to to some caregivers there?" And we went over there, and there was a room full of women. And one of the doctors came up, and I just said, "Tell me about postpartum hemorrhage. And, you know, do do you see it sometimes?" And he just looked at me like I was crazy. We see it all the time. Oh man! And he pointed out the women in there who were suffering from it. Told about a woman who had just died the previous week which is not uncommon there. And it mm. just really was impactful to me in saying, in making you realize what a problem it was mm. and how we really needed to get behind this and develop this product, hopefully get the FDA clearance. And fortunately it worked out. So we got behind it, got the clearance, and we're now working on uh, introducing it throughout the world. Amazing. But yeah, it was a great trip. So that was Kurt's guidance on the impact side of investing. But what guidance did he have on the investment side for new or emerging fund managers? If I talked more about the industry in general, so so that was a a story that had a lot of influence on me in terms of seeing the problem that's out there and being determined to figure out a solution and help with that. But if I went back to my young self, just getting into the investment world, Hmm. pre-impact investing, I would say young investors and any investor really needs to realize that you'll never find the perfect company. So you you learn from your mistakes and I have scars Uh (laughs) from this. Luckily, a lot more winners than losers. But I remember one in particular where the CEO came in and Mm -hmm. and we were going through their plan and they were developing a cardiovascular drug. And then I was asking about the cap table, the liquidation Mm -hmm. preferences, and the CEO just had no idea. So, and I just couldn't get over that. I mm. thought the CEO has to know how the cap table works and the liquidation preferences in the event of an exit. And he didn't. And I couldn't get past that. We didn't make the investment. And it turns out the company did well. <laughs> they had a good exit. <laughs> oh, man. And it just taught me that one person doesn't need to know everything. And it's mm. okay if there's a kind of a glaring gap in their knowledge base, as long mm. as it's filled by someone else. And in that case, the CFO. Hmm. Didn't know, (laughs) but I just couldn't quite get past that. And I see that in some of the younger investors where they want every question to be answered. So what is the addressable market? I need to know. What will the exit amount be? I need to know. And so many of these things just aren't predictable. Now You you have to know a range. If there's no market, you can't invest in it. And if there's no chance of an exit, no strategics interested in the space, you won't do it. But there will be unknowns. And you just have to have confidence that you can fill those gaps, work with the companies, bring in the right people, and learn over time. I think a lot of people who get into the business are perfectionists, and that can work against you. No, that's great advice, particularly looking at maybe some of the younger innovations coming out of Africa and how the team is balanced, but maybe any individual leader, even the CEO, doesn't provide that balance. Yeah. With the immense experience that you have and... Uh, looking at the mission that you've had to catalyze other kinds of private financing in the impact space, do you have any guidance that you would give to other impact investors or other funds that are just getting off the ground to learn from your experience? Yeah, I think you really have to define what it is you're trying to accomplish. Hmm. So we're very much focused on generating good financial returns, but also tracking the impact. And that's the lives saved and lives improved in low and middle income countries. So when we look at a deal, we consider both of those. We have sort of a checklist 
about all of those things. And it, it really keeps us focused and it enables us to say no to a lot of things quickly, which I think is, is an advantage because you can get lost in hundreds of deals, all of which have some merit. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you have your roadmap clearly defined and you have your criteria, it really h- helps keep you focused. So I, w- I would encourage everyone to really define what it is you're trying to accomplish, whether it's, you know, in, in oncology, whether it's financial inclusion, whether it's just access to more data, improving lives, wh- whatever it is that you're, you're seeking to define it well and stick to that. But also be a little bit open because you can learn <laughs> as you go and, uh, <laughs> and refine those. But it, it really helps to have those guardrails. Right. Maybe that, that openness could fall on the 10 or 20% provision or something like that. But I absolutely yeah. hear you. Impact means so many different things to so many different people and for investors and for yeah. companies. Just knowing, are we on the same page? It's a huge communication asset or hurdle. Last question for you, Kurt, is about the future. Looking ahead, are there any breakthroughs that you would like to see? It could be an innovation. It could be in the market side. It could be on the funding side. Whatever you see and what you've observed of the landscape and the industry. Yeah. What do you hope for? I'm always amazed at the innovation that I see. Mm. Uh, talking to entrepreneurs here at this conference, we were at the JP Morgan conference about a, a month and a half ago. We always have deals coming into us, and I always marvel at, at what people are thinking of and what they're accomplishing. And I love this job because it's, it's a window into a lot of exciting things. And I, I love the convergence of science, of clinical medicine, of regulatory strategies, of distribution, all of it that goes into a successful company. So it, it's fascinating to me. What hope for in the future is I'm, I'm not worried about more innovation. People are <laughs> thinking, people are doing things that are remarkable, but there isn't as much coordination to get the products to the people who could benefit from them. That's so I think if one of the things that's top of mind for us right now is maternal and child health, and particularly things to do with labor and delivery. And it's, yeah. I hope there can be organizations that really prioritize that and that different communities and different organizations can work together to facilitate the identification of the products that can have the most benefit or that can benefit patients the most, and then work together to get them out there. Because I think organizations like Gavi and others, the, the Gates Foundation, all kinds of groups have done amazing things with vaccines, with other indications. It seems to me that maternal health has lagged behind. So I would love to see that going forward. And we're, we're seeing quite a few things in our uh, portfolio and in the pipeline that could make a big difference, but we need to figure out how to get these products to the patients. Thanks for joining us again this week. If you like what you heard or if you have questions about how impact investors think and work, connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Aid Evolve. You can also get more details about the Global Health Investment Fund, its portfolio, and Kurt's current fund on our website at aidevolved.com. If you have a story to share about working with good money or bad money in the impact space, please do share it with us. You can send a recording or an email to podcast at aidevolved.com. Join us again in two weeks when we speak with Nicole Speaker of Farm Access Foundation. Farm Access Foundation has delivered loans worth $200 million to health facilities across Africa and provided health financing to another 5 million individuals. I'll see you then.